Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's the Autosport Podcast. We explain how Mercedes threw it all away in Austria and discuss a famous victory for Max Verstappen. Verstappen took his first victory of the 2018 Formula One season on home soil for Red Bull at the Red Bull Ring in Spielberg. A very unexpected win. We all thought it was going to be a a Mercedes runaway at the start of the race after Valtteri Bottas and Lewis Hamilton locked out the front row, but it wasn't to be. The race unravelling in spectacular fashion. I'm your host, Ed Stewart, and joining me in our scenic mountaintop, you could almost say, abode in a very nice guest house not far from the uh, from the Red Bull Ring. First is Scott Mitchell. Now, Scott, first I should say, are you worried about being interrupted by horses that are lurking outside the window? Uh, horses or Formula 2 slash GP3 correspondents, because we've got a horse outside and Jack Benyon in the next room. So I'm really not sure sort of how many interruptions we're going to get in this podcast. Also joining me is Ben Anderson, who's sort of nestled in the corner of uh, of my bedroom in this uh, in this guest house. I should I should add that this this Ooh, was. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm feeling my reputation is being sullied unfairly. I, for the purposes of the listeners, I've not been nestled in the corner of Ed Store's room throughout this Grand Prix week, only this morning. As usual, the, uh, the, the configuration of the podcast is dictated by where the plugs are in terms of Indeed, the, uh, your head is very, very close to smashing against the wall-mounted TV. Yeah, well, there's a, uh, there's a plug just in behind it that you can just, uh, you can just 
get the uh, get the power pack in behind. I can so confirm a... that there is uh, a plug behind the TV. I wonder who got the power pack. I think we're letting people see too much behind the curtain of this podcast. They probably see us in a nice plush professional studio. No, I, th- no, I think in this situation we're letting them see behind the TV. Ed, the best thing is we're sat at the table and I've still got the sort of the bottle of complimentary generic schnapps based. Uh, I'm pleased to see. Is that. it alcohol? Because I wasn't sure if it was like oil or vinegar or something. It is alcohol. I'm, I've sm- I've sniffed the bottle in my room. I'm pleased to see Ed's is untouched. Well, let's actually get uh, get on with business while uh, while Ben puts the bottle back. I think it was tempting him a little bit, a little bit too much. So, Scott Mitchell, how did Mercedes go from one two on the grid with an upgraded car that looked like it was going to walk it to no points? In very very well, a combination of classic 2018 Mercedes blunder and very uncharacteristic Mercedes unreliability. I think this is the first time in in the V6 Turbo Hybrid era that. They've had a double retirement. I think it's the first retirement they've had since double retirement Mercedes had since '55, as well as a, as a works team. Obviously, they had all that time out of the sport. What so, about 2016 when uh, uh, re- uh, caused oh, by reliability? Yeah, so a mechanical retirement. Okay, yeah. Um, so that's obviously massively, massively uncharacteristic, and that that overshadows the the fact that the race was had already unravelled by by that point with um, with Bottas had managed to turn pole into fourth at, at, at turn one which got second back with a with a brilliant move at, at turn four around the outside of Raikkonen and Verstappen but Lewis has already had his chances of a win well I was going to say derailed but put out put out of likelihood completely well, by the v- VSC error well the key was the, the strategy error wasn't it Ben yeah absolutely um Hamilton had that race in the bag and Mercedes made an inexplicable call to not pit him under the VSC caused by Bottas's retirement for hydraulic failure I think lots of hydraulics pressure yeah, yeah it all started right. with a failure in the the power steering system that's where it originated and and this just seems endemic almost for Mercedes they continually make these odd strategic choices and in fact their head of strategy James Vowles came on the radio to Lewis saying I've thrown this win away trying to urge their man to to recover after he dropped to fourth following that pit stop and you just wonder if Mercedes needs a, a wholesale rethink in how it deals with the strategic challenges of Formula One. Now it's become much more competitive in this era with Ferrari and Red Bull both breathing down their necks constantly. It is not the first error this season, and there have been some quite significant ones going right back to the first race in Australia. I was amazed by those radio messages from Vals when he came on, just that, that need to try and prevent a Hamilton spiral and then when Hamilton started to spiral anyway try and try and G him out of it but I don't know about you Ben but when when you heard that I, I was thinking this is uh, it's not unprecedented we hear engineers and strategists come on the radio at times when they feel they need to to, to intervene or say something sure. important but this th- that was to me that that was that was like panic stations effectively bringing bringing him in and trying to to, to fix the situation. Yeah it's very unusual to hear comments that strong and you wonder what Mercedes can do now to kind of rebuild the confidence within that team because it Vowles must be having a spiral of his own after the sequence of errors we've seen Australia Bahrain China uh, it, the list goes on um, it just feels like Mercedes once again as Formula One's become more competitive and they've been forced out of their two horse race comfort zone from the early part of the V6 era they're just not very good at handling these these challenges I think as well this is the worst of the the strategy errors because for example in China they had a very short amount of time Bottas was just going past the pit entry they couldn't yeah, pit no him chance, yeah. Hamilton was approaching the hairpin so they had a, a few seconds but here Bottas slowed on his 14th lap so Hamilton had basically done pretty much a lap of green flag racing 
when the virtual safety car was deployed when he's back on the same straight so let's say that's about a minute or so and then it takes what 40 seconds 50 seconds to get back around to the pit entry under controlled speed so i said a really conservative estimate is from the first moment they realized bottas was in trouble which should instantly if your strategists say oh safety car vsc are possible here they had 90 seconds and that's a really generously low estimate of it to, to decide what to do and they came out by not pitting with the one act action that was guaranteed to make them lose out to the maximum it was a it was an extraordinarily obvious thing to do you could say in china well no one have seen quite how big a speed advantage the red bulls will have but here it was it was a complete no-brainer and it's almost like they're paralyzed couldn't do right for fear of doing wrong well the, the thing that reinforces it for me is the fact that the red bull and ferrari double stack their cars they brought them in and said right okay this is this is the only option doesn't matter if you have to queue it puts pressure on the pit stop guys to have to turn it around super quickly that was what they did they didn't they didn't hesitate. Well, and Red Bull were adamant that even if Hamilton had rolled on by, they wouldn't have split them. And I suspect Ferrari would have been the same because it was just so obvious. I think that's the key because if you're Mercedes and you're leading the race, there's always that, well, what if we don't do this? What if we do do this? There's always two options in there, stay out or pit. For everyone else chasing, Mercedes has this race in the bag in their eyes. You just take the gamble. But the fact that nobody split the strategies and said, right, we'll leave one car out just in case will gamble with an early stop for the other car suggests that everybody else in the pit lane really saw this as a no-brainer. Well, and the only other drivers who didn't make a double stop under the VSC were for reasons of either technical failure, I think has had a problem with their tyre warmers, or foreseen they just didn't have enough time to get both drivers in without losing significant position. Yeah, so you look at it and you say everybody's come up with that conclusion and Mercedes hasn't. The so only it's, ones, It's very, yeah. very strange. I mean, credit to their Chief Justice James Wells, as you mentioned, being willing to come on the radio to Lewis and say, yeah, I've lost us this race. Yeah, it's you, a big thing to do. make up because it's not just the driver he's saying it to, it's everyone at the team and, and millions the, of people who are at home. Yeah. But, you know, it was ultimately a, a strategic error. So I think they need to look at their systems and what they're doing because you're meant to have a situation where at any point in a race, where if there's a safety car or a VSC, you know what you do. And while I appreciate the parameters of the race were changed by Bottas stopping, because previously there may have been a slight difference in terms of what they did if there were two cars there, you should be able to just like that switch and say, yep, it's a pit. So I, I don't really know what it was, what where the lag is that made them made them not do well, this. Well, you can see how easy it is to get into a negative spiral in elite sport, though. And the fact they've had problems of similar nature. Yeah, second-guessing yourself. Second-guessing yourself, exactly. So having all that time to react, in a way, is, is a negative for a team in that situation because they just not reacting as as confidently as you would normally and as the other teams did. I wonder how they're going to rebuild that because different role within the team, but similar to what you're talking about there, back at the start of the season in Australia, when Haas had the really high-profile wheel gun operator errors in Melbourne, and Gunter Steiner said afterwards when they went to Bahrain that they repositioned the guys within the team with less cru- in a less crucial role to just rebuild that confidence, not dismiss them, not do anything that's going to shatter them even more, but give them an opportunity to to find that groove again, come back, and then you can be and then you can be back part of that process in a, in a key crunch situation. I don't really know how you do that with your chief strategist, but they, they need to find a way to do it because you, you're not always going to have a minute, a minute and a half to react. You need to be able to say in that in that moment, that split second decision, with confidence, this is absolutely the right thing to do. No, and as Ham- as Hamilton said after the race, they need bulletproof strategy. This championship is too close a fought thing and they're throwing points away needlessly. Yeah, and, and it was such an obvious one. You can criticise previous decisions, 
but at least sometimes you can see what the rationale is. You can say, well, we thought this, this, this. But when Toto Wolff, and I asked him, just can you just explain what discussions were, what was happening, why that happened? And it was just, well, there was a bit too much lag. We were worried about this. There was no kind of, well we thought this and therefore this and therefore this and you yeah. think well okay or we had three options yeah. and we just couldn't decide but at least you can look at that and say well okay you were wrong but there was a train of thought that led to your course of action here it just seemed to be a bit of a oh I don't really know what to do oh we've got it wrong and then of course the, the great irony was that because Bottas parked far enough away to to uh, to not trigger a long virtual safety car that meant that they couldn't at the end of the 16th lap bring Hamilton in because if he'd rolled no, round they, could, they couldn't react could if they? he'd rolled if, if the VSC had lasted long enough for him to make the pit stop on the next lap, it would have been fine. It would have yeah. been, all, been, been all the same again. But how Bottas? Well, I mean, it's all his fault. Well, exactly. But probably, I mean, he's he's doing really well this year up against Hamilton. The average qualifying deficit. He's only twenty nine thousandths of a second down on average on Hamilton. It's nothing. He, is he it? shaded him for pole position. Okay, he made a bad start, but recovered. But you know, Bottas is bad luck, Scott. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. This is the fourth cast iron instant of just him being screwed out of a really good result we were talking earlier about you know you could argue that Mercedes did him out of a, a win in Bahrain by not reacting to Vettel's uh not uh, need to not have a second stop and then obviously Bottas's charge came too late but in China he wasn't able to react to the safety car the way the others was but it changed the complex complexion of the race so that screwed him out of a win he inherited the lead in Azerbaijan should have won there and hit a bit of debris that hadn't been spotted by race control or the marshals retirement there wiped out turn one in, in, in France at a race that, that Mercedes dominated, so never had the chance to challenge Hamilton for the win. And then here again, okay, you're right, he was in second because of a mistake that he made at the start, but he was at least on for second. You don't know how the race would have would have panned out, especially if Bottas could have kept the pressure on and Hamilton had eaten his tyres the way he ended up doing. So, yeah, you just can't buy good fortune at the moment. And I... I know that I know that there is that cliche if you make your own luck, but I just don't see how Bottas is really contributing to any of this misfortune. At the no, moment. he's just incredibly unfortunate. And if you look at the the points table, he's sixth in the kind of the class A, but effectively he's he's last in the championship he's in because there's no way he'd be, he'd be further down. And he and he should be. He's, he's got 92 points. Hamilton's got 145. Vettel leads with 146. So that's uh, the, the good thing is the Mercedes team will know what he's doing. He looks set to get a new two year deal there. So. At least he's he's doing what he needs needs to do, and that's well deserved because he has been driving really well, and that's the thing that will comfort him that his performance level has gone up significantly this year. Uh, and the interesting thing is, talking to uh, people close to Bottas, they can see that even at this level, there's more to come. There's they feel there's more capacity there to take another step. So Mercedes, as you say, will be seeing that. I think uh, Bottas is benefiting massively from that second year in the team. We've talked about Kevin Magnussen having a massive boost this year from finally being in a team for a second season. And you can't underestimate the impact of that on Bottas, who last year was driving, I think, in slightly compromised circumstances. He didn't have the seat that he liked. There's significant details within the car that he hasn't quite been able to optimise for himself in the first year. Now he's got much more comfortable he's got the car to his liking and you're seeing the results in his performance even if you're not seeing the, the results that he deserves this weekend's um, the, the qualifying lap in, in particular for me though those are the areas that I, was, I just want to see more of from Bottas because we know how good he is especially in relation to Hamilton when Mercedes maybe isn't quite at its, its ultimate ultimate level 
But when the Mercedes is on song, like it was here, when Hamilton's not on one of his rare off weekends, Bottas beat him on merit in qualifying. It was a really good lap. And yes, he did make that mistake, but he was in second. The race could have gone differently. It's those weekends where Mercedes is clearly on top, where in the past Hamilton has looked like he has that little bit extra when everything comes together. Bottas looks like he's actually narrowing that margin more and more. So that put, that makes him a genuine overall threat and not just a number two that I think a lot of people have seem to still have dismissed him as alongside Hamilton, just a number two at that team. Yeah, absolutely. I think the big big takeaway for Bottas this weekend, weekend is that qualifying lap because Mercedes is upgraded. It's got the best engine it's had all season. It's the best aero package it's had all season. And in the past, or certainly last season, we saw Hamilton stretch away as the car got better and Bottas tended to be strong when the car was weak. But this weekend, he was, until the start of the race, on top of Hamilton even if only narrowly, and he needs to build on that and show that he can keep that up as the car continues to improve. Well, the iron is for Mercedes for all the negativity about the weekend, justifiably so. The upgrade was significant. There were major aerodynamic revisions. You know, some people characterised it as a B-spec. They don't call it that, but it, it was big. You know, the car looks very, very quick. The, the upgrade package is meant to improve it, particularly in the longer corners. Uh, the quicker ones should be very, very strong for Silverstone. Well, you, well, you saw it trackside, didn't oh, you? It, so it, you, tell us, you can tell us how good well, it was to the naked eye. Well, I was turn one on Friday morning, and normally a new package it takes a bit of time to get on top of it, but it looked brilliantly planted. They could they could turn in early, both Bottas and Hamilton, for that corner, and not pay the price for it at the exit. They wouldn't take to have to take too much curb on the inside. They wouldn't get spat wide at the exit. Vettel and to a lesser extent Raikkonen were having to go a bit deeper, square off the corner a bit more, and just carrying a little bit less speed. So you can and, see and even compared to the Red Bull, I think you said Red Bull was normally held up as the kind of chassis benchmark in yeah, this era yeah, of Formula the, One, and you seem to think the Merck was even stronger than it, that in the corners. It, yeah, and I mean Hamilton did say that it started really well, and then they got a little well not got a little bit lost but had to work through some things it got a bit worse and it got good again but I think with that engine upgrade from Paul Ricard the previous week and then this that, that's a big uh, that's a big uh, warning to the opposition for Mercedes the problem there though is we've got this championship battle at the moment it's so tight at the front of F1 in 2018 that was it Wolf said didn't he on Saturday it's an interjection from our podcast guest outside. That horse was disagreeing. Oh, was that, was that, the, the, was that the, the horse? I thought it was Benyon. Good hor- point, Benyon. The point is the horse said nay, so it does, not, <laughs> does not agree with you. Very, very good. So, yeah, T- Toto said on Saturday, didn't he, that the way this, this fight is at the moment, you're going to get bitten for small errors. And it was a bit like teaching Ferrari how to suck eggs a little bit. And then come, sa- come Sunday, when they've got the best package they've got all season, they have Scott the most really spectacular... disagrees with you, Scott. <laughs> the horse is furious. He's not going <laughs> to let you finish. I think you should give up. Maybe the, the horse must be out there dressed in silver or something like no! that. Yeah, exactly. You can't speak against Wolf. No! <laughs> so Mercedes just had, on their strongest weekend of the year, horse the, biggest impl- the biggest implosion... I've seen from them everything about every aspect of that race went wrong at some point for for Mercedes. They had a bad start, then they had Bottas's retirement. Hamilton, uh, they they the messed up the, str- the strategy. Hamilton didn't have the pace when he came back out. Hamilton got flustered. They couldn't manage the tires during the race, and they had a second reliability problem. It could not. I don't. I can't see it unless they crashed into each other, a la Spain 2016. How could that race have gone any worse and, for them? And, and the tire thing will be a concern as well moving forward because uh, the Mercedes has tended to be a bit harsher on its tires than the other top cars as a trend going back through to 2017. And you'd kind of hope upgrading the car that. That would be one area they'd address, but Hamilton did seem to really struggle with his rear tyres, even relative to others at the front who were also struggling. I think part of that was down to how hard he was pushing because that's a big factor in the blistering. I mean, the, the track temperature was a lot higher 
than it had been in um, during Friday practice when they normally do the long runs. I think Pirelli had it at about 25 to 26 C on Friday, and then it was 42 C for the for the race. So I think you need to, you need to manage things a bit more. So that you do wonder whether you know people like Ricardo and and Hamilton who are kind of pressing on a little bit, as well as as well as the fact that Mercedes has been a bit iffy on tyres, but the Red Bull's been good on tyres, and still he, uh, Ricardo was having the blistering. But, you know, if we want to talk about things going wrong, there are also some things that went very right for Max Verstappen in yeah. terms of his victory. I mean, he managed the tyres very well for, for starters. But what do you make, a, make of that, Ben? This, for me, was the Verstappen that we we expect to see, the one who really knows how to balance up a, a aggression, when to consolidate, and it's just a, a really well-executed drive. Yeah, this is this was Verstappen's best weekend of the season, I think, comfortably, and and finally looking like the driver we all thought he was at the end of seventeen. He's come come copped a lot of flack um, from Justi- us, justifiably so. And justifiably so. He's been too aggressive. He's admitted he's wanted wins too much. Um, this is a new experience for him, having a car that is capable of being in the mix for victory if, at all, if not most races. Um, it was really good to see um, how he handled the first lap in particular because that's been a been a problem, wheel to wheel battling and and over aggression throughout really his time at Red Bull, and he managed the first corner really well. He took advantage of the the three car squeeze between Bottas, Hamilton, and Raikkonen and didn't get involved. Uh, handled turn three very well. Could see that the, that Raikkonen was over aggressive there. Didn't backed off deliberately to get a good exit, and then when he had a sniff getting past Raikkonen at turn seven, it was, the high-speed left, where Raikkonen had a little wobble, got the car inside, tiny bit of contact, but really well judged, and that was the move that won him the race. Exactly, it's about knowing when to attack and when to control that. And if, if you watch the onboard, there's, I think F1 have put out a video showing starts from the, the various leading drivers, and you can see Verstappen, you know, he has quite a bit of wheel spin, actually, on the first lap. So first corner, he doesn't really have a vast choice, although he still doesn't get involved. But turn three, you see him easing off. So you can see the thought process as Raikkonen moves to the left of Hamilton. That that's that was the bit that really, really impressed me. But it's important for Verstappen. I think he's had a run now of three strong race weekends since the Monaco the Monaco disaster. And and I think despite the fact he keeps saying he hasn't changed his approach in any way, Scott, we've got to say that that he has clearly learned now, hasn't he? Well, yeah, I think we we had we've had evidence now on the, the start of two out of the last three Grand Prix of how he's changed his approach. The, he managed that wheel to wheel moment with Bottas in Canada perfectly through that difficult opening complex. We've got another track here that has a, a layout that just is just tempting fate, isn't it? There's at, been at, lots at of disasters in the first laps over recent races since this Grand Prix returned. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And that's the sort of thing, well, Christian Horner said it after the race, that those moments with, with Raikkonen on the run from three to four, where Raikkonen squeezes him, puts him slightly on the grass, and then the absolutely brilliant move, through into turn seven after Kimi got a wobble on through six and and, and opened the door so you know a little bit of wheel banging a little bit of wheel banging forced his way through those two moments as Horner pointed out earlier in the season misjudged those slightly which Verstappen was doing and your your race is over it's disaster so I think that that for me uh, yeah three really good races obviously an, a brilliant inherited win here for me, I think the more significant thing in the story of a Stappen season is judging those fine margins to perfection and coming out the right side of that. I think the big change that Verstappen's needed to make and his camp has recognised this and told him this is that he doesn't need to be 100% all of the time to do well in Formula 1. We know he can, he can be a brilliant driver. He doesn't need to prove himself in every session. I think the crash in Monaco in final practice was a key turning point. And uh, Jos, his dad, said to him... That, 
you just need to calm down a little bit. Don't change the fundamentals of how you're driving, but just don't try to go for it every lap all the time. Drive at 95%, and then when you need that extra bit that takes you to 100% to get something done, like that move on Raikkonen at turn seven yesterday, pull that out of your locker. And it seems that he's taken that on board because, as you say, it's three races now where in, in a row where he's looked much more on top of things. And uh, he's, p- apply- he's now reapplying pressure to Ricardo, who was on top of him, really, up until probably this race. Well, and Ricardo was very much the second Red Bull driver, 0.159 behind in qualifying. And also, he had to do things like the extra run in the in the uh, in Q2. Well, and he didn't get the pace out of the super softs at the first attempt. He, had to he was go, really struggling, had to go again. He? And then Ricardo over to the tyre. So that, that's really positive from Verstappen. It's exactly what, what we need to see. But one thing, Scott, Raikkonen was ahead of Verstappen on that first lap. He had good race pace. It was a good performance, fastest lap on the last lap. So he was quick, good results. But was this a was this a second place gained or a victory lost for Raikkonen? Victory think? lost. Yeah, don't fin- even finish your question, Ed. It's a victory lost. I don't remember. The horse the... agrees by the sound. Yeah, of it. absolutely. Silence from outside. I think you can hear him clapping actually, which is weird because horses actually, you know, traditionally your answer is not that good. So, uh, <laughs> the big thing for me with Kimi is I don't remember the last time he got a good result that I saw and thought. Mm, yeah, but there, there was something missing. I don't remember the last time he did something and I just thought, you got the maximum out of that. It was kind of a, oh, lots of things happened and in the end, Kimmy's on the podium. It's a shame because he, he used the ultra soft bite at the start. He put the car between the two Mercedes and you know it was a bold place to put it. And it's always difficult when you're in the middle there. And we saw in the GP3 race on, on Sunday morning what happens when three less accomplished drivers go into, <laughs> go into that, that, yeah. that corner there. So, you know, the fact that didn't come off, that was worth a try. But well, and then it's just that frustration. It was, just, it was a mistake in turn six. I know a few drivers were caught out there because Leclerc went, went off in that, that part of the, the lap as well. But... It's just that mistake he makes that just lets Verstappen through. And without that, does he pick up the lead and then hold it? Well, I, mean, I think if Verstappen yeah, was behind yeah, him after the pit starts, Raikkonen wins. But he yeah. does, yeah. And you could you could sense from at the start of the press conference that he knew that he'd thrown that race away with that mistake. It was, but it was good to see him having a go. I mean, he came very, very close to so. passing Hamilton at turn three on the first lap. Held Verstappen off a bit forcibly, but borderline just about on the line in terms of fairness on the way down and then yeah gave away the place it's such a shame because the rest of that race was very well executed from Reichen and probably one of his his best of the season how about Sebastian Vettel his weekend started to come undone in, in Q2 with the the impeding incident with Carlos Sainz now there's two schools of thought on this one is that it was a it was clear case of impeding two is that actually it didn't make any difference because Sainz made it through to Q3 anyway what do you reckon Scott I think it's quite dangerous to judge incidents on the consequences rather than the the action itself because I'm 50-50 on on that sometimes you sort of think okay well if you do that then that's kind of sensible because um no 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 harm no foul so so why give a massive punishment that doesn't quite fit the crime but ultimately that for me that if you let them off in one instance it sort of sets a bit of a precedent that you can maybe risk it because you might get away with it if it doesn't actually impact their qualifying I actually think you need pretty firm pretty firm rule there otherwise you just just risk it gets messy and opening a can of worms and also I just think I don't really buy Vettel's argument that he was looking in his mirrors and didn't see him because if he couldn't see him on the straight on the way down to turn one how slow was Vettel going from the start line to turn one that let signs come from out of sight on the start finish straight to suddenly with him at turn one I just I, I just don't think he was particularly paying attention well the strange thing is because Ferrari weren't being especially communicative about him at that point, but Vettel did say he knew Science was behind him, but because he couldn't well, he overtook him, because yeah, because he couldn't see him in his mirrors, he assumed he wasn't there. But obviously, when you're going uphill, 
on the run to the first corner, maybe it just makes it harder to see in the, in the mirrors or whatever. But it's it, it makes it a clear case of impeding. And while it's the so, clearest case I've seen for a long time, absolutely emphatic. And while yes, you know, part of you thinks oh, that's a real shame because it it compromises the race, and you kind of like it not to be. But it's just so it's so emphatic. It's a need, just a you, just sort of, you just sort of think about well, just get round turn one, exactly. and then you've got all that space on the run up to turn three to get out of the way. So if there's any doubt, just roll round the corner. I mean, yeah, it was Q2, so he'd have been concerned about race start tyres, etc. But just particularly at a track like that, where, where it's hard to see and traffic is a problem. Yes, yeah, the shortest lap just in don't terms, give of, yourself, terms of time. Don't of the year. take a needless risk, which is what happened there, regardless of the communication. And I get what you're saying about consequences, but in this case, impeding is all about consequences, isn't it? And although science said, well, it didn't really ultimately make much difference to my qualifying, as Renault's Alan Pomain said, well, he did have to fly off the track and we did damage a wing. So there were negative consequences and those kind of things can be much worse and much more dangerous in slightly different circumstances. So very, very silly mistake from Ferrari. And ultimately, it cost Vettel a chance to win a race on a weekend where Hamilton scored no points. Yeah, very much so. And it's, uh, you know, his race, he dropped a eighth at the start. He had a little lock up and a wide moment at turn one and at, and at turn three and ended up, you know, the, the two hasses he got through pretty, pretty quickly because they weren't too worried about but he should have been up there shouldn't he but, yeah, taking he should... advantage of the two mercedes breaking down exactly exactly although he came through to third you'd sort of say well there's a, there's a missed chance there because when you're Definitely. the thing is it's that that thing of when your championship rival messes it up you've got to be the driver there, or team you? you need to be there picking up the the 25 points rather than the 15 okay he's gained 15 but is it also kind of an opportunity to you know has he lost 10 yeah, I think so. Yeah, he's definitely dropped points. The one thing I would say in his favour, which probably means very little to him, is that he is responsible for my favourite part of the race, which was the two title rivals going wheel to wheel, one of them on the grass, and then a lovely bit of Vettel elbows out uh, under braking into turn three because he was obviously not particularly happy with, with, with Hamilton's defence and just gave him a little bit of tough love on the on the entry to the corner. I, I like seeing that. And it says something about how dramatic the rest of the race was that that's been massively overlooked in, in the grand scheme of things. But also the, the thing about that Vettel move I liked that shows he's really thinking of it because as well as you sort of say it's tough love, but it was also that thing of you can just control when the guy on the outside turns in. And some drivers get sucked in and they want to get into the corner so they can be ahead. And that allows the driver behind to kind of get a run on the exit. But Vettel just had it in mind. It's like, right, no, I'm, I can sit here. I can sit. I'm going to pin you to the outside of the track and I'm going to turn in when I want Caged to. him totally, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, and the Hamilton, it's, it's, was just, Hamilton was just sat there thinking, well... Nothing I can do. You know, there's nothing Vettel did wrong. It was just, yeah, but it, judged, it was just absolutely it, hanging it, him out to drive. It's the move judged. that Nico Rosberg tried to pull a couple of years ago, isn't it? And failed. Yeah, ended up see, forcing off the track. Wrong. Exactly. It's that judgment because sometimes you see it where... It's like, okay, well, at some point the driver on the outside needs to turn in, so you can't take it too far. No. It was just it was just brilliant, brilliant judgment. It was the total opposite of twenty four hours previously where his judgment had let him down. And shows that Vettel is a fine racing driver as well. He often gets stick for being a pole pole to win merchant and not really very good at wheel to wheel. And yeah, he has some clumsy first laps now and then, but he can mix it with the best of them. And looking a bit further back in the battle for Class B, as we've come to come to term it, a dominant weekend for Haas. You could say it was a 1-2 with Roman Grosjean fourth and Kevin Magnussen fifth. That's their first double points finish of, of the season. They're up to 49 points, up to fifth in the Constructors' Championship. The car has been very, very good. Two things here, Ben. First, the fact that Haas has got that double points finish. I'm trying to remember, they've certainly had one before in F1. That might only be their second in Japan the, last year. Japan last they, year. Did they yeah. both make the points? Yeah, then, I yeah. Think. I think there was that was the last time Grosjean, Grosjean scored because yeah, Grosjean had twelve races without without a point. So Haas getting that double points finish and a big hatful of points. That's twenty two points they've they've got out of this out of the forty nine they've they've scored. Plus also Grosjean who got into this negative spiral as uh, I think Gudrun Steiner referred to it, referred to it as 
how important is that going to be for for a driver who we know how good he can be? Yeah, I think very important. I think Grosjean is is quite an emotional guy, and despite all the public proclamations of you know it not affecting him or the team, it, it surely will have got to him that he's had such a tough start to this season. No points. He was he was becoming Hass's new Esteban Gutierrez, wasn't he? A driver that ultimately lost his seat there because he just couldn't score points, regardless of how well he drove at certain points. Um, it was good to see Grosjean back to his best. It was a perfect weekend for him. He was quick, quicker well, than split, his teammate. Split the Splitting the Red Bulls in qualifying. That That's the Grosjean that has signed, the, the guy that's capable of a stunning qualifying lap out of almost nowhere. But it was good to see him finally make the most of the car, uh, score the points he should, get off the board. And now the feeling is that he should be able to take this take this on uh, and, and be, as Steiner says, the, the Grosjean that they know he can be. And also with Magnussen having been so strong at the start of the season, you know, Magnussen had a strong weekend finishing fifth, but hmm. he was 0.159 behind in qualifying. And then there was a Not phase really with him when the they race. were on comparable tyres at the start of the race when he was just sort of falling back at three tenths a lap. You know, good drive from Magnussen. Great drive from Grosjean, I'd say. It's a it's it's important for Haas to have this first first race this year anyway, where you don't have one driver having a massive high and the other one having a massive tug, because that's what Steiner said that they that they seem to be going through this weird patch over the last couple of years, especially with Grosjean and Magnussen, when one's doing really well, the other one's struggling. It was the it was the opposite way around last season at times, and it's really important for the team because they are quite small. They've made the most of this relationship with Ferrari and they've built what is on outright pace. I think the fourth quickest car because Renault is fourth in the Constructors' Championship because it has always been the fourth or fifth quickest car depending on the circuit. Haas has been outright clear for fastest more times than Renault. The problem is just either Magnussen's made the most of it and Grosjean's had a silly blunder or the team has failed to get the most out of it and they actually do have a really, really good chance of of finishing fourth in the championship this season. Yes. I, know it's, I know it's a battle that not a lot of people care about, but in, in F1 terms, that's huge. Yeah, and Steiner knows that as well. That, that will be their target now. They're especially only, they're given, only 13 points behind. Given how disastrous a weekend Renault had, with yeah, and, science dropping like a stone, struggling with the tyres, Hulkenberg retiring with turbo failure, I think it was. so Spectacular turbo spe- failure. Indeed. So lots of drop points for Renault, massive weekend for Haas. And this, this is the score they should have had in Australia. So it's kind of like their season resetting almost. One quick uh, entry from the Corrections and Clarifications Department. Haas did also have a double points finish at Monaco last year remember which i forgot about so monaco and japan last year but we should also say fourth place is, is Hass's best finish you know comfortably the best weekend for onwards and upwards and fifth so it's uh it's going off well them and the really positive thing is that they're keeping pace with the development the car's still competitive into the middle phase of the season which is the thing they were that was really important for them to for them to do although still a lot of work to do at low speed it seems yep. that this kind of track really does play to the Haas strength they've got good aero at high speed as the drivers say but it's the lower speed tracks they haven't they haven't quite managed to get that sweep which is a struggle for all midfield teams I mean it's the same for Toro Rosso they bought an upgrade this weekend to try and widen that window but they still struggle to, to make the car strong on all types of corners and that's still still an issue for Haas but yeah very fast and doing a good job what's really good about Haas and the way that their car works on those circuits is this little concentrated spell of the season where you've got so many races in a row you've got France here and Silverstone high speed circuits obviously you're going to have um, Hungary which is which is which is the opposite but you're in this spell where some of the teams are talking about you can't really react to weaknesses and if it isn't in your development program to have something that identifies a high speed 
aero weakness, you're not going to have it during that spell. So Haas really needs to make hay while the sun shines. And they've had what Magnussen was sixth last weekend in France, fourth and fifth here. That's exactly what they need to do. They need to hit this spell of the season really hard, and they're doing exactly that. Yeah. Cue loads of abuse that they're just a Ferrari copy. <laughs> yeah, that will come back. I saw you giving uh, Gunterstein a hard time about that after. Well, not a hard time, but... but uh, he says he's he ready for it. it. Exactly. Well, they're, they're, they're used to it. Um, Force India also got a double points finish with Ocon and Perez 6th and 7th. There's not vast amounts to say about those performances other than good drives from both. Great salvage job, though, because yeah, and, and, it, in provided practice, it looked like Force India were nowhere. And, yeah. in, and in qualifying as well. Well, and yeah, Ocon, did, Ocon did a good job. Perez was job. totally lost. Yeah, yeah. He had, there was some radio talking Q1 on the first run about some energy deployment issues so I'm not sure exactly what's going on but yeah he, he missed out on on, on the second run so in terms Fun. of making it to Q2 but the uh, and he also Perez had the uh, had the less good strategy because he had to stay out so he yeah. had to do a little bit of work to come back through to seventh and in fact they let Perez go past Ocon to have a go at, at Magnussen which he couldn't do anything about and then they swapped back at the uh, at the, the end of the race um, so Fun, yeah funny that, that, season that, for Force India isn't it exactly okay. exactly. Well, they, I, they don't seem quite as strong as they have been recently but yet they're still kind of in the they're mix they're missing car parts aren't they that's the problem they're having these production problems they're not getting the updates when they when they want them and, and they're dropping back because that battle is so tight in the midfield the other thing as well is car pace is one thing but also uh, I spoke to Bob Fernie, the deputy print, team principal, at the at the end of the race, and I said, "Well, this is a bit more what we're used to seeing from Force India. That's the first two car points finish they they've had this year. Wow! And usually, we're used to Force India." It got to the point where they had strong performances with both cars, kind of from the middle of 2016 onwards. Well, they're like the midfield's optimum race team, exactly. Aren't they? They've been like consistently maximizing their car all the time. So there have been a few too a few too many mishaps, but you know they're still hanging in there in that battle. They're seventh in the championship, but 42 points. So it's you know they're only two points behind McLaren and on course to overhaul them, and then. Oh, McLaren. Well, McLaren, Fernando Alonso did a did a decent job to come through to eighth from the back of the grid, so at least salvaged uh, salvaged something from that from that race. You know, he would have been pointless without the retirements ahead. It's just a just an, and they're, they're messing around with the car so much. It's old parts, new parts, but back say, to the old didn't MGK. He a, didn't he race the 2017 front wing because they didn't have well, another we, spare? They said old wing. We yeah, don't we, we don't know what it what. wouldn't have been a 17 one, but it would have been a an older spec because they tried a they tried a trial one on in FP1. But that was a very much a testing. It was never planned to go onto the the car properly to be raced. And then then. Alonso damaged a a good one in qualifying, didn't he? The last corner just kept his foot in and went off. So exactly, it kind of sums up McLaren's season, doesn't it? Really. I mean, the strong things from Alonso in that race were he didn't have to pass too many cars, but. The, the key pass he made to gain in place was the one on Leclerc, which he did because he managed to manage the, the tyres a little bit better. I think he also passed Stroll in that race and the struggling Gasly. The rest were made up on either retirements or, or on, on, on pit stop strategy. So, you know, at least it's, it's good for McLaren to bank four points. But yeah, good you, positives there, aren't they? That Alonso, you know, he has got that experience and that ability that we know so well. And McLaren, in terms of pit stops and certain elements of the racing, are, are, are much sharper than they have been in the past. But it's now the fundamental car that's letting them down. And one team actually that's doing very, very well by comparison is Sauber, a a double points finish for them. Scott, Charles Leclerc, ninth, Marcus Ericsson, tenth, two very, very different paths to uh, to very similar results. I think the best thing to say about Leclerc's performance in particular is he said after qualifying on Saturday, obviously he was quick again in Q2, but he was like, don't really think I'm going to keep my points run going here, starting 18th and and then going through the gravel at turn turn six on, on the opening lap. So to come back through the pace he did, um, and he almost held off Alonso at the end. That would have been that would have been a, another little another little boost. But to get into the points from from where from where they were, that that's really impressive. Ericsson did a very good salvage job after being 
can only describe him as totally demoralised after being hammered in qualifying and, and, and qualifying slowest. Uh, so to get back through and... and He's to, half a second off Leclerc. Yeah, exactly. exactly. So so they both did a really good job to turn around really bad situations at the start of Sunday and net what I think was Sauber's first double points finish since early 2015. Is that right? No, absolutely right. Uh, 2015 China, Marcus Ericsson 10th and Felipe Nasser 8th. Yeah. Well, good knowledge, Scott. Yeah, Marcus Ericsson's done a, done a good job there to avoid... I, f- I feared he was on for another one of his 11th place finishes for a while, but um, obviously both of them aided by the retirement, of, I think, five cars in front of them. The positive thing for Ericsson's drive is a lot of people were struggling with blistering on the softs. In particular, you know, a lot of people had softs on the second stint, they were getting the blistering. The rears in particular, there were some front blistering problems as well. Now you have an increased chance of blistering when you're on a heavier fuel. So he started the race on the softs, made them last an extremely long time. The the pace held up extremely well. So he was managing the tyres exceedingly well in, in difficult conditions that were catching people out. I mean, at the time, and we, Scott, you commented on it, and I said, well, we're expecting the softs to be to, to hold up pretty well. But then as the race went on, it became very clear that the high track temperature and the nature of the configuration of the track meant that the softs were, were in quite a lot of trouble. So kind of in that light, what Ericsson did was was very good. Yeah, and well, Ericsson's gotten used over the last few seasons to driving enormous stints on tyres that you just don't think are going to work. So I'm guessing that that has had some value in terms of him being able to learn some some neat tricks in terms of tyre management. And maybe he accessed some of the, the clever tools that Horner was so enthused about in terms of Verstappen's drive. Yeah, it was managing the left rear was particularly important, wasn't it? Verstappen was, was lifting through uh, 9 and 10 more just to just to put less pressure on that left rear the, and and actually speaking of Verstappen in the context of of, of Ericsson the bit that really you don't impressed do that me, very often no the bit that really impressed me with Ericsson's race was at some point I'm sure it was about 50 laps in or so before he'd made his stop looking at the timing scenes and going he's seven tenths off the lead pace on on these really so it, it showed what you're talking about Ed, that these tyres were capable of doing it. that wasn't because Ericsson was putting in this outrageous incredible performance the tyres could clearly do it but you needed a certain way of managing them and Ericsson full credit to him for doing that yeah it's 45 laps he did I mean his last flying lap was a 109.612 and you just look you just look at his lap times they just steadily improve with the, with the fuel load good so good, uh, good. good race for me and a good confidence boost as well because he's he's under the cosh at the moment isn't he from Leclerc well Leclerc's driving uh, superbly well obviously they benefited from some of the other problems we talked about briefly Sciences the tyre problems Hulkenberg was in the points but had the, the, the turbo go we don't know whether he'd have had the tyre problems but both Renault drivers were complaining about balance problems and bad balance at, uh, at the Red Bull ring that can that can lead to the, the blistering um, we also saw Pierre Gasly had the well, I say he had the collision. He was hit by Van Dorn at turn three. Torpedoed. I think it was you, Ben, that spoke to Gazi after the race, didn't you, about the, the fun he was having? Yeah, he he said it was the worst balance he'd ever had in a car, I think. Um, it seems like the, the hit from Van Dorn at turn three bent something on the car. He described it, uh, Gassi described it as like when you bend the steering in a go-kart and the cart will turn in really, really too sharply in one set of corners and then understeer in the opposite set of corners. He said he almost went off the circuit 20 times during the race. It sounded really, really difficult. And in that context, he did a really good job, considering how much that would have impacted on his tyre life, uh, to almost score points in well, that he's, car. He's only, he was less than six laps away from making it. He he compared it to um, to driving a rallycross race. I don't know what he was complaining about. That sounds like loads of fun. Yeah, the horse approves of that uh, of that statement. Given that we, I think we we talked very negatively in last week's podcast about the miserable time we had at the French GP. One thing I did want to say is that um, if if I'm going to see a, a Verstappen win and in, an, an inherited Red Bull 
win this season. I'm pleased that I've seen it here for Matajitz and his lot because this is a really good Grand Prix. It's a really good circuit. The circuit lends itself to the work that they've done. The facilities are excellent. It's a good circuit for racing. It's a really well-managed event as well and it is, it's one of my favourite favorite races. And to come here after the misery of France last weekend shows the difference between a Grand Prix where people think they know what they're doing and a Grand Prix where they've done everything to make sure they get it right. Well, Scott's, Scott's definitely going to be invited back <laughs> I look forward to my free case of Red Bull now but, but I agree 100% this is a really really good event and it's not in the most accessible part of the world in terms of it's not massive motorways ever. it's a little bit out of the way and they do, they do a good job of it. it's not quite as bad as Paul Ricard but they certainly manage everything well, it's, very, it's very, old very school well. feel with modern facilities isn't it that's a great way of putting it you can sell them that, uh, sell them that slogan but yeah, and Dietrich Matchett after the race he was wandering around in the paddock he was, he was delighted saw Nicky Lauda give him a little hats off moment so it's important as well because all, we should also remember and well attended Oh, very well. The Verstappen yeah. village, there was huge. The Orange Army was out in force, wasn't it, for this race? Which is is good to see. Yeah, exactly. I think it's also it's also important for Red Bull to get this this day because Red Bull have put a lot into Formula One over the years and motorsport as a whole. They own two teams. They're paying to put on a, a race, which is one of the best Grand Prix of the year. So you know, I, th- I think it's nice for them to have this uh, exciting moment. Mercedes have won all of the Austrian Grand Prix since it came back uh, up to now. So it's uh, that's, it, uh, and amazing that Red Bull managed to win the home race because after qualifying, they no wouldn't chance. have. Wouldn't have given them a prayer like split by a Haas struggling with straight line speed so it's amazing how quickly things can turn around I think this is one of the reasons why it means so much to them because obviously since this Grand Prix has returned all the money that they've put into it it's been dominated by Mercedes so I think that has that has must have hurt Matashitz a little bit to, to, to see that year in year out so for it to come, Horner's, uh, Horner stopped his post-race media debrief two or three minutes before the end he resumed it afterwards to, uh, specifically to get up go and see Matt because he saw Matt Schitt's, uh, he's no, he, saw, uh, he saw Dr. Marco, sorry, leaving and just like basically ran after him, stopped him, gave him a massive hug and then came back. So you could see what it, like, it just had this brilliant feel good atmosphere at Red Bull afterwards, which was, it was really nice to see. And justifies them wearing those lederhosen year in, year out. <laughs> Makes that effort worthwhile. Yeah, that's perhaps the one downside. Of, one downside of this race, but yeah, helmet Marco in Lederhosen. <laughs> Ed Straw's wearing Lederhosen right now for this podcast. Just a blatant lie. You know, I wear black jeans and only black jeans. No, yeah. that, that sounds, that's inconsistent with the polka dot shirt. That's Ed Straw's polka dot shirt. Yeah. I just like to add, I do wear other clothes other than jeans. It's just when there's trousers, they, they shall be. They shall be black jeans. It's just the way it works. Anyway, what say you, horse? No, the horse is happy. Well, I think it's probably time for us to uh, to get packed up and, uh, and head to Vienna to make our way back. So thanks very much, Scott Mitchell, Ben Anderson and The Horse for its, uh, for its mud podcast uh, disagreements with, uh, with Scott Mitchell. Obviously, we've got the British Grand Prix coming up uh, this weekend, so keep an eye on allsport.com. We'll have all the, the post-race fallout from uh, from the Austrian Grand Prix and the pre-race build-up to Silverstone on there, our plus subscriber area, where you can rate the drivers, You know, see how wrong you think my driver ratings have been. Max Verstappen got a 10. I'll give that one away. See if you Unbelievable. Uh, see if you uh, agree with that. I think it was a very, very why not good 11? performance. Well, there we go. Maths. Maths is why not. Also, check out sister titles F1 Racing and motorsport.com. Thanks very much for joining us. We'll be back soon with another Autosport podcast. Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com forward slash Trilo Music.
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. The Just Because deal. Hey, oh, what's this? Breakfast from Mickey D's. From me? Yep. Why? Because it's morning and you like McDonald's. Let's eat while it's hot. There's a deal for every act of kindness at McDonald's. You don't need a reason when the one and only hot and melty sausage McMuffin with egg is just two fifty. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.